today's parable is about those moments and seasons in life where it doesn't feel like you're living out that calling, where it doesn't feel like the gates of hell are, are trembling at you as a saint, where it feels like maybe you're actually just stuck and not moving anywhere. Uh, it's from Luke chapter 13, verse 6 to 9. Uh, it's a really short parable, and I'm pretty sure you've never heard a sermon about it before. There you go. It's the parable about manure. It's in Luke chapter 13, verse 6 to 9. It says this, Then he, Jesus, told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. This is God's word. This parable is just thrown out there as we describe parables are. It's just this story, this micro story that's just sort of thrown alongside. It doesn't fit in any of the other contexts of this passage. You know, in our Bibles, we just kind of try to lump it into some other bigger, broader category because it just doesn't feel quite right. But it's really about this vineyard owner who must own tons and tons of land with lots and lots of grapes. But he has a garden where inside of it, there's this delicious fig tree. Uh, the fig tree uh, should produce this wonderful, sweet fruit. But the vineyard owner who planted it and has been waiting doesn't get any. The tree is just wasting space, he says, so let's cut it down. But then the gardener says, no, let me fertilize it or put manure on it, and then we'll see what happens. Uh, when I read this parable, I cannot help but find myself in the role of the tree. Here I am. Where is the fruit? Shouldn't there be more things that I can point to into my life that says, look, there's growth. Look, there's me reproducing myself, you know, nourishing the world. But here I am struggling still. Maybe that's you too. You're still struggling, but maybe with the same stuff, but different stuff than when you first became a believer. You might think, here I am. I have the same distance within friendships that I had long ago, the same discontentment with the life stages that I'm in. I have the same fights with my wife. I have the same anger with my kids, the same frustrations and angst uh, that I have around housing and how much things cost and all of those other things. Here I am, you might think. I'm barren. Maybe it's time to get on and get out. You know, maybe it's time to just cut it all down. You know, you've been given this tremendous role to play within the world, right? We're a church full of artists and professionals and teachers and engineers and business developers and consultants and, and friends and just family members. We've been put in some really important places in life, right? Where it seems like, oh, the kingdom should really be pouring through us. But maybe what you hear is the accusation, cut it down. Do you think that you should be cut down? After all, if there isn't fruit, maybe you should be taken away. That's what the vineyard owner thinks. He expects fruit and he doesn't find any. 
You know, shouldn't your faith be better and bigger? Shouldn't your witness be growing? Shouldn't there be more activity of the kingdom of God? It really kind of makes me think of the old man in the sea by Ernest Hemingway. I'm sure it made you think of the same. Uh, the old man of the sea, it's the best if you don't like Hemingway, it's the best for you. That's what I'm going to say. It's the story of this old man in Cuba who his whole life is to go out and to catch really big fish like marlin and things like that. And, and he's on a really rough streak. Like he hasn't caught anything for months and months. He's this poor, impoverished fisherman. But he goes out one day, he rows out into the middle of the ocean, and he, and he puts out the bait, he puts out the lure, he, he catches this huge, the biggest fish he's ever seen. And immediately he begins to think, man, when I get back, they're going to take pictures of this fish, you know, like you've seen black and white pictures. Of, it's going to be the news of the town. This is, I'm going to make more money than I've ever made in my whole life. And he's, he's out there, but the fish is so huge, and he's just in this little dinghy, right? And he's trying to row against, so he says, I'll let this fish tire itself out. He spends all day holding on to the rope as, it, as he gets cuts in his hands, and then the salt water is on there, and it's, it's this dry, crusty hand. But he's holding on because this is his whole life, right, is to catch fish like this. He's been waiting forever for this moment. And then eventually the fish tires out. And, he, and, he, and he's won the battle. And so he begins to row back in. Now you don't have to read it. Uh, now I'm, I'm telling you the whole thing. And then he rows back into, into the bay. But as he does, sharks come and begin to eat it up. Then other smaller fish come and eat what's left after that. And then huge seagulls are coming in, diving into the ocean and pulling away whatever is left. When he gets to the shore, all he gets to pull up is a big carcass of what he thought his purpose in life was. While other people and other fishermen kind of come around and this little boy comes and says, wow, I bet it was a big one, but now it's kind of pointless. I think that that's the kind of sense that many of us might have when we live life in the kingdom of God where we think, here I am trying to be obedient, I'm dedicating myself, I'm trying really hard, but I'm like a fig tree in the middle of the garden that's not producing any fruit. Or I'm like a fisherman who goes out each day and ends up exactly where I started before. I think we hear this kind of accusation of cut it down all the time. Maybe we should just quit this whole journey. There's this interesting uh, reality, though, uh, you're going to learn a lot about gardening and things today. But fig trees take three to five years before they ever produce any fruit. And that's just a fact. That's just how it is. Before that, they have these beautiful blossoms uh, where they have pretty flowers that kind of pop out. And you might think, oh, a fig tree is coming. Did you, like flowers, and then you get fruit. Did you guys know that? Flowers and fruit, you need to know that just in life. And, and I have a peach tree. I planted it on my birthday last year. I put it in the ground. It had beautiful leaves. It keeps getting taller and taller. And in the, in the summer, it had these amazing orange and purple, vibrant flowers. And you think, wow, well, there's going to be some delicious peach. And I think that, but then I have to remind myself, wait, no, this is a five-year process. I'm not getting any fruit. And the, the beautiful flowers of a fig tree, too, will just drop to the ground and wither there. Uh, everyone that Jesus told this story to knew this to be true. 
Any smart, reasonable vineyard owner would have known that as well, that it's just not time yet. There's signs of fruit, but there's not actually going to be fruit. I think that's something to kind of put in your own brain and your soul for a little bit and chew on. In life, there are signs of fruit coming, but it hasn't come yet. That's just true about life. The vineyard owner also thinks maybe he could plant something else in its place. Maybe that would grow better. He says this plant's just using up the soil, using up the sun. Maybe you think sometimes someone else could do a better job in the calling that you've been given. Maybe you're just wasting up space in the soil. Uh, They could be better in your relationships, better in your community, better in the city. Maybe you're just not the right, you know, Los Angelino person. That's why the kingdom of God isn't coming through you. No, it's something that we've described now as imposter syndrome. You know, like I don't really belong in this role and when are people gonna figure it out that I'm uh, in a mask? When are my kids gonna realize that I don't know what I'm doing? When is my boss gonna figure out that I'm actually not this good? I just knew how to respond to emails quickly in those first two weeks. You know, the whole story, kind of that part of it, maybe we should put something else in its place, makes me think of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah were given this big, uh, fantastic calling. We can hardly imagine. They're in this little town, and they're told that God's going to move them, and they're going to follow him and walk with him through the desert, and that God's going to bless them, but not just bless them, but bless the entire world. Every nation, every people group is going to be blessed through their big family, and that all they need to do is trust and obey and walk through the desert following him to find the place and then have the family that God wants. That's all they need to do. And then they spend decades walking that walk, but no child. And they begin to think, well, there must need to be, you know, for us to be a family, there needs to be a child. Like, that's core to the calling, right, of being a family that has lots of kids. And so they begin to think, ah, maybe there's something not right with us because we're barren, we're fruitless. And so Sarah actually comes up with this great idea-ish. Hey, Abraham, you have a kid with Hagar. And then together, you know, then we'll have a child because Sarah believes there should be somebody else in my place being more fruitful in my place. And then years and years later, Uh, as we'll see in a second, they actually have the child and God laughs and she laughs too. But we think maybe uh, in these callings that we've been given, should we be cut down? Should we find replacements? Uh, Origen, who's super old, 2,000 year old, you know, Christian, Clement, the desert fathers who all believed in Jesus, uh, they all thought that Jesus in this story was gardener. He was the gardener. The gardener who stands between the owner and he begins to advocate for the tree. He, he works for the owner and he stands between the, us and the accuser and he advocates for us. That that's what the gardener does in this story. He runs out to the vineyard owner. He's like, no, no, no. Let's not cut it down. You kind of hear the urgency of this, this person who's cared for and nurtured this tree now for three long years crying out, no, no, I'm not done yet with this tree. And I think this the truth of the gospel. This is a big piece of the gospel, that Jesus sees your life, he sees your world, he sees the futility of all things, and he stands 
way and he says, I'm going to make this fruitful. Like, I'm going to make this person fruitful. I'm going to make Nate fruitful. I'm going to make Jeff fruitful. I'm going to make Casey fruitful. I'm going to name all of you. You ready? Uh, He sees it all. Jesus enduring the cross. Jesus breaking the tomb open. Jesus sending the Spirit. Jesus' promised return. It all says this truth, that out of the ashes, out of graves, out of lifelessness, out of a world burdened with sin and death and evil, all of it says Jesus is bringing and will bring life. And from that moment in eternity past, when God chose to love, from that moment when love hung on the cross, from the moment when love walked out of the grave on that beautiful morning into a garden, it's forever guaranteed for you and for me that your life will end in the kingdom. That privilege, this is the privilege of being a child of God. That the gardener, I mean, it's so beautiful. Mary thought that she was seeing the gardener, but she was actually seeing the raised Savior of the world. Hear the gardener say, I'm going to make it all fruitful. The gardener commits himself to the tree and the fruit that it will produce. How amazing is that? This parable, in part, is about how Jesus is just committed to bringing fruit in your life. Even in the spells when everything looks void of meaning or void of progress, the fruit will come because the fruit, you're already a fruit of resurrection. And why can we be so confident that, that there will be fruit of the Spirit pouring out of our lives? Because Jesus says he will do it. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.24, says, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And this part, again, it just reminds me of Sarah and Abraham, who after all those years of struggle, all the mess with Hagar and the child, they welcomed in finally a child that they were called to receive. It's a pretty beautiful, tangible reality. And just this one little quick aside is that this is Jesus' commitment, not just to you, but also to the saint on your right and on your left. Like, that's his commitment. And so I think maybe sometimes there's a little vineyard owner in us when we sit in Christian community. And we might think, maybe he should be cut down. Maybe she's dead weight around here. I mean, maybe I'm the only one being super vulnerable about how bad I am. But I think that that's what happens within Christian community. But Jesus' commitment to all of the people around us is to make us alive with the fruit that he wants for us. Now, what does the gardener do to make sure that, that the tree will be fruitful? He digs a big trench around it, and then he heaps piles and piles of manure on it. Donkey poop, horse poop, cow poop, poop. Like, that's what he's doing. Pounds and pounds of nitrate-filled, nutrient-rich, stinky, and messy poop. Redemption is messy. The process of restoration isn't this rosy, beautiful path. The path to fruitfulness is through the hands of a gardener whose hands are stained by the mess. 
What if the circumstances or the manure in your life, because we've all got manure, right? As the saying happens, manure manure happens, right? (laughs) What if all of that in your life is about God maximizing your soul for fruit? Because this is how things grow. Do you want to know? This is the second part of the gardening lesson. You find a great seed, or you purchase a really good seed, and you prepare the seed for soil. Some you soak in water, some you dry out, some you soak in water, then you dry out. It's a really fun experience. Some you see it begin to blossom just a little, like a little bit of green coming out of this hard, hard seed. And then you get it, and you stick it, your hands deep into the dirt, and you pile up more dirt around it, and you make sure it gets watered. You make sure that the sun is hitting it. And then you wait. And from there, the seed actually begins to pull uh, the dirt and the water and the minerals into itself. That's what the seed is doing. It, it, it begins to put out these roots that sucks all the nutrients out of the dirt into itself. It's pretty amazing that the dirt uh, seeds turn dirt into trees over time just by using heat uh, as the energy source from the sun, and it just does this amazing process of sucking out every nutrient. But, and this is, you have to understand this if you want to be a good gardener, a plant like that that's growing and spreading its, you know, its branches out, it will suck up all of the nutrients around it until there's nothing left. And this is key. Are you ready for the key if you want to have fruitfulness? in your garden, that if the tree is out there and its root systems begin to realize there's no nutrients anymore in this dirt, it will go into self-preservation mode. Trees have brains. It's pretty amazing. There's a secret life of tree book. You can read it. It's really like they, they have these uh, primordial instincts, but the tree begins to think, oh my gosh, there's more, no, no more nutrients out here for me to suck up into itself. And so then the tree goes into self-preservation mode. Okay, well, let's just grow some smaller leaves. Let's definitely not do any fruitfulness because that's just a waste of our energy. Its trunk will get big and swollen because it's just trying to keep whatever it has. There's no more branch growing. There's no more flowers blooming. Why? Because it thinks nothing else is coming. A good gardener knows all of these things and feeds the trees heaps and heaps of fertilizer. If you've needed nourishment in your life, maybe you feel just weak and fruitless. Maybe you've needed water and fertilizer, a trench dug deep around you. He does so that the the nutrients of the manure will go straight into the root system. What if Jesus is doing everything in his power to bring fruit about in your life, and it's coming in the form of the messes that you would rather not have? What if he's bringing the transformation in your soul through circumstances that you just do not like? What if Jesus is so committed to your well-being and your soul, so committed to it being free to live for him, that he's going to use rainy days and disappointments and heat, and tsunamis, and pandemics, and unemployment, and all, what if he's going to use all of that to make you grow? What if Jesus stands in front of you, and your family, and this church, 
and says, I believe in fruit. I believe fruit is going to come, and I'm doing all that's required to bring fruit. And this is the way of the cross. The cross is completely messy. Jesus mangled, Jesus destroyed, tears, blood, bruises, handing or, or hanging from uh, what others would just describe a tree, right? Cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. And there he is, the messiest of messy. This is the way of the gospel, that Jesus takes on all of the mess. Redemption is messy, messy. Restoration isn't all roses. Uh, Rich Velotis, a pastor in Queens, New York, he also wrote this fantastic book called The Deeply Formed Life. He says this, he says, it's possible to have a life that doesn't appear fruitful to the world, but is fruitful to God. And this is the foolishness of the cross. See, the cross looks like failure, but is the greatest act of faithfulness, which has led to incalculable fruitfulness. See, I just wonder if the vineyard owner, you know, and, and the crowds that are around Jesus as he hangs on the cross think, what a waste. What a waste of a life. This young man, he could have been a good carpenter. He had some good, you know, teaching. But look, now it's just taking up space. Where's the fruit? The fruit is three days later when he conquers the grave, as we sang about this morning. Jesus will bring fruit to your life. It's guaranteed because the fruitfulness of your life is a resurrected life united with him for eternity. There isn't better fruit than that. Each morning I wake up, uh, I take our dog for a walk, I make myself matcha because my stomach can't handle the acid of coffee anymore. And I sit my matcha while my dog is trying to go out there and make manure in the yard. I walk around and I inspect our garden. I go to each plant. We have a lot of plants. They're really beautiful. Not so much because it's the pit of winter. Plants still since winter, even in L.A. They know it's winter even if we don't. But I'll go and I'll ins inspect the squash plants and the tomato plants and the peppers, and I'll see what sort of things are coming up. Maybe, oh, it's, you know, it's time for me actually to do some fertilizing, or there's some weeds growing up around it. I, do, I, I check the sprinkler system. You know, it's, it's important to have some automated system that you have to check every day. And I'll do all of that, and I'll walk around the whole garden, and then I'll get excited about the new flowers that are coming out of the squash plants or the new vines that are growing off of the tomatoes. And I'll think, I cannot wait. I'm so excited, and I will do everything that's, that's required to make sure that it's fruitful because I'm not going to waste it, right? This is what Jesus is doing and has done for your whole life. Each morning, each day, each moment, he is attentive to you. I know we think often that because, like, we're not attentive to God, so he's not attentive to us. It's not true. He is the gardener pursuing, looking at, pulling weeds out, putting fertilizer on, making sure the water and the sun. Why? Because he's been committed to you since the foundations of the world. And it's so good because the tree in this story, if you find yourself as the tree, if you find yourself another character, that's a different sermon, write it, get back to me. But if, if we're the tree, and I think we are, the tree in the story is passive. 
all it does is it sits there and receives. It receives the work of the gardener who knows exactly what he's doing. So I want to encourage us today to just receive his work. The point isn't, oh, the tree needs to get better at like, using fertilizer. That's not it at all. Because Jesus is saying, Let me, let's watch and let's wait because I've done everything to bring about the most glorious fruit of the Spirit you've ever seen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you abundantly for the cross and the resurrection that we get to celebrate every morning, uh, that we get to celebrate every evening as we go to bed, that even in these tough moments where it seems like we're just wandering, dry, fruitless people, you're doing something in our souls. Uh, help us to be like Abraham and Sarah, where you transform us through the journey and through the process. Build in us a faith and a confidence that you are at work. Thank you so much, Jesus. Amen.